Welcome to Plan for Divorce, your next chapter with host Brooke Benson. Over the next hour, you'll learn from experienced professionals the options you have to make smart decisions in your own divorce journey. Now, here is your host. Welcome to Plan for Divorce. My name is Brooke Benson. I saw a wedding planning magazine and realized people need the same kind of guide for getting unmarried. I don't advocate for divorce, and in fact, I don't even get involved in relationship issues at all. If you decide to end a relationship or your partner does, I'm here to help with sensible, practical, and often low-cost ways to prepare for the split. Only when you know what you want can you work towards your own best outcomes. And there are many professions with specialties in the area of divorce. This show is dedicated to hearing from them, compiling some of their best information and incorporating it into my workbook by the same name, now available for download at planfordivorce.org. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Today, we are very fortunate to hear from... Recording in progress. Two women with lots of experience on the topic of divorce. My first guest is Angel Butler Diamant. Angel is a high conflict divorce coach and founder of Red Thread Divorce Consulting. She is certified in all 50 states and focuses on supporting parents with child custody issues, court preparation, combating false parental alienation claims documentation, mediation and negotiation prep, co-parenting with a high-conflict personality, child custody evaluations, and more. She develops her strategy within a self-care mindset that limits collateral damage and time and money wasted. Angel, welcome to the show. I'm so glad you're here. Hi, Brooke. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much. You're doing such important work, and I've been following you now for quite a while, so it's really exciting to have you here. Thank you for allotting the time for us. Thank you for having me, for sure. First of all, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about your background and how you came to do this work? Okay, so just to I'll try to sum it up. As you mentioned, my name is Angel Butler Diamond, and I'm a practicing high-conflict divorce consultant or coach. Um, my home is actually in Houston, Texas. I'm certified in all 50 states, and I'm actually certified by Tina Swithin of One Mom's Battle. Basically, again, to try to fit it all in a nutshell, um, Red Thread was created out of a misery to mission mentality. Um, during my own high conflict divorce, which started in 2015 and get ready, drum roll, I was still wrapping things up as recently as last year. And oh, I really, gosh. Yeah, it happens a lot. I know. I'm sorry. I really felt I was learning as I went and I faced so many challenges by trying to navigate the family court system. And I learned early on that, especially in a high conflict divorce situation, it's terrifying and almost impossible to navigate by yourself. And I really just needed someone that could look at things through not only a legal lens, but also help navigate the process and really focus on the small details so that when I did meet with my legal team, I was better prepared and that time could be used more effectively, thus saving time, money, and emotional stress. Yeah, your sanity. Yeah, your sanity. 
And my goal, my passion now is basically to stand alongside my clients and be the person that I wish I could have utilized and empower my clients just to have a very strategic mindset, gain knowledge, and just stand alongside their legal team as a strategic partner and have them better advocate for themselves through the process. As you know, there's peaks and valleys. Um, There's a lot of PTSD involved. And so divorce consulting, coaching is a fairly new arena, but think of us or think of me as a liaison between the client and the attorney and um, just really standing in that middle ground to, to provide emotional support and focusing on the details that lead to a better outcome. Sure. Okay. So tell us a little bit, how do you, how do you find your clients or how do they find you? Well, first of all, I have a website and, um, tell us the website so everybody can check it out. It's really easy. It's red thread divorce consulting. And, um, I'm actually linked on Tina Swizen's page, I believe one mom's battle, but to be honest, most of my clients come from referrals. There's such a need. And I have to share with you, Brooke, I didn't know really where this was going. My background is within a hospital system, HR and recruiting and um, startups. So I really felt that in 2015, I knew I could not unsee what was happening in the family court system. So I really didn't know what process I was going to use or utilize to get from point A to B, but I knew I was going to do something in this arena. And Red Thread just, once I created Red Thread and once it launched, I had about, and I'm not kidding, and you know this, being in your arena, a hundred clients within a six month period. Right. That came from referrals, um, from clients, attorneys, um, from basically all over. Right. Get better outcomes. Good. Okay. So talk a little bit about the certification you have. And uh, for, for listeners who are not aware of When Mom's Battle, can you give a brief description of what that is and how it evolved into this program? Sure. Well, Tina Swithin actually went through, and again, I'll just try to summarize it and make it very simple, a very, very high conflict divorce. And like you and I, she couldn't unsee it. And um, she wrote a book. And um, and from that book, One Mom's Battle grew. And out of, again, out of misery to mission, basically. She became so overwhelmed very quickly that she created um, her coaching program, which... which um, involves a lot of people from the legal world and also the psychological arena that focus on narcissistic abuse, coercive control, and the high conflict personality. So the training just that she created basically is just an extension of herself and what she was doing. She just wanted to be able to help more, more individuals and do it more effectively. And give them a place to where, again, I mentioned it's a new arena, to give them a place, a starting point to where they could actually look for a person like this. Right. So you use the word uh, narcissist or narcissistic behavior and doing this work. And now that I'm part of this, you know, this community, I feel like we hear that word a lot. Do you have an opinion on whether it's overused? Do you think it's become part of our vocabulary? Um, Do you think that people who are dealing with someone like this find a measure of comfort in knowing that we've put a name to it? 
I actually do. And one of the biggest things that um, involves emotional support, and we always stress, or I always stress self-care, is the feeling that almost all of my clients, and I know I felt this way, and even my dearest friends who knew me or know me really well thought, how in the world is this happening? How can this happen in the family court system? How it must be you know, sort of, there must be a truth on both sides. But as you know, it only takes one to be considered high conflict. And when you go in front of the judge, you go, you get one shot to go through the system, temporary orders, mediation, all things that we help with. You need to be able to show that judge in that legal arena that you are not the problem. And how you do that is basically focus on behaviors. Now back to your question, narcissism as a term is, is, um, I really don't think that it's overused. I think that um, narcissist, high conflict personalities manifest in different ways. With that said, the one common denominator is always the need for power and control. And I do have to say very quickly that narcissism can only be diagnosed by a healthcare professional, but there are certain patterns and certain behaviors that you can look at. I mean, look, this is not peaks and valleys. This is the Mount Everest and the lowest ditch that is trenched with mud and everything else. That's the history of your relationship and your marriage. You probably just missed those red flags, but it's going to be the continuum of your divorce also. So um, narcissism in and of itself, I you don't have to tick all the boxes to have narcissistic tendencies. And there are a lot of things that happen, I'll just say in a high conflict divorce with a narcissist that don't typically happen in even a divorce that's sort of with just two people that are disagreeable. They right. just don't. Right. So, okay. I, I love the way you phrased it about, I'm not a mental health care professional. Those are the people who diagnose this because Clearly, in the field of psychology, this has become a personality type that has descriptors and vocabulary. So I understand that part of it. Sometimes when I'm on the Internet reading about divorce and you know separation and, and this concept of post-separation abuse, which I would like for you to talk a little bit more about, but I found a measure of comfort in knowing that people are aware of this behavior. And I have used that knowledge with my lending clients. As you know, I'm a divorce lending professional. And in my training to, to earn the CDLP credential, there is a whole component in the training about high conflict individuals. And after I realized that the whole divorce community, if you will, recognizes a certain set of personality traits and has vocabulary to describe it, I have now shared that information with my lending clients who call me and say, oh my gosh, Brooke, you wouldn't even believe, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I generally say, I probably will believe it. And not only that, but there is vocabulary that family lawyers, therapists, the family court system uses to describe this behavior. And I really do feel like a lot of my clients are surprised by that because getting divorced, as you know, you feel so isolated. You feel like I'm the only one who is witnessing 
this batshit crazy behavior and trying to write it down in a notebook. So to find out that the psychology community and certainly judges and family court see this all the time was enormously comforting to me. And I have tried to share that with my clients. Absolutely. And that's the biggest thing there. And, and, you know, there's a lot of, and I'll use a a term that, you know, gaslighting, they've been told the narrative there's, and I was terrified. I mean, my former expressed to me that I would be homeless and that he would take the children away from me, even though I had been home with our children for based on agreement for, for as long as, you know, they had been alive. So you're terrified and it's really hard to imagine that and wrap your your head around the fact that yes, people can be this mean and this vindictive and their only goal is to win. Their priority is not the children. That's what our priority should be. And that's right. what family court's priority should be, but it is not. It's about winning to them. And when you put a name or describe and focus on the behaviors, they just don't feel so alone. And they don't right. feel so isolated. And there is a lot of comfort in that. I mean, they are telling them that the wall is white, even though they know the wall is black. And they it, it's, you know, PTSD, it's trauma. They need help with presentation and just really regulating and um, building their team, which, by the way, not only involves um, the idea of perfect team, um, not someone like you and myself, but a therapist of some sort, um, a legal um an attorney and a legal team that actually understands domestic abuse and coercive control and narcissism and high conflict divorce. That's actually key because I, as I mentioned before, you get one shot to go through the system and you're laying the groundwork. Knowledge is power. And you just need to even that playing field because that guy, that person, um, you already know what they're capable of. Um, accepting that reality is another thing and actually stepping forward and going through the process is yet another, but just having the comfort of someone gets it, someone's ready, someone can help prepare me for this behavior. I won't be so shocked. Um, well, and I, I had a guest on the show who was talking about how she, I guess it was a therapist that initially suggested to her, you know, your husband may be a malignant narcissist is the actual vocabulary that was used. And this was a healthcare professional and mental health. And so this woman who was here on the show, her name is Whitney Ramirez. She researched that terminology and read as much as she could about it. And she actually said on the show that learning about it and realizing this is actually a diagnosis, it helped her take it less personally. And I thought that was so interesting because once she realized there really is a clinical definition of this behavior, she was able to sort of mentally shift to where it's not he's attacking me, but more this is his way of being. And I have to kind of operate within this framework. And I think that is so important for anyone listening to this show, that if you are embroiled in some sort of conflict with someone who is just going to drag it out, undermine, you know, purposely mislead, you know, counsel, purposely mislead a judge, there is a whole 
canon of belief and writing and data that supports the fact that this is how this person is going to operate. And so many of us who have training are able to spot it at 50 paces. Absolutely. And it doesn't just start with the divorce. That was the behavior and the control mechanism all throughout the marriage, whether it's financial abuse, isolation, um, just, you know, people think of abuse as a bruise or hitting physical. No, there's emotional abuse, coercive control. Um, and by the way, all of these behaviors that were experienced during the mar marriage tend to escalate after a person decides to leave and in that relationship. And no, they are exactly who they are. Right. And it takes time for someone like us who are empathetic, um, who do care about others and don't think of them as objects to really believe that a person like that can't get help even after you've offered it, even after you've tried and, and, or they won't, you know, it takes self-awareness to get healthy. They, they lack self-awareness. That's the other big part of it, but that is who they are. And guess what, Brooke? that's who they are going to be in the next relationship, um, at, you know, their jobs, at their careers, in church, at school. If you look at the relationships, they are only superficial and right. they've always been. Right. The mask falls off. They can't continue that mask. And going through this journey, which it always happens, and I always tell my clients, it, the hard part is waiting because the children suffer. You suffer. Exactly. The children suffer. The mask always comes off with you, without you. Give it time. They will hang themselves. But during that, you need to manage the emotional um, turmoil that it causes and um, also manage the information that you bring to your attorney, prioritize so that it's effectively presented in a timely manner and you can get the best outcome because these people are one step ahead. You have to be 10. Right. That's a good point. You're, they I mean, drag it out. They financially, their goal is to run you. They say it. Um, they undermine parenting. They um, false claims of parental alienation is a whole other show for us. Yes. But so used in the family court system. And that is a lot of what I do. They can be absent for nine months. And um, let me just backtrack and say, this doesn't only pertain to um, this economic group. No, it pertains to this economic group and high wage earners. They are pretty much the same across the board and false claims of parental alienation can, I can't even tell you the damage that it causes financially to the children, emotionally, all of it. Again, that's another show, but they are learning about all of these things and um, and they're going to implement all of it. Ask right. Tracy, her book, You Can't Make This Shit Up, it's the truth. And that, that book was actually a really good help to me. Early good. On. Yeah, she's coming next on the show. And while I have you, give, give listeners just a real brief description of what uh, post-separation abuse really is. Okay. So it can be, um, so does it start when somebody says, you know, I want a divorce or I think we should separate. When do you define the beginning of it? In my experience is it's when the other, other party. And by the way, I have, I should mention who my clients are. I have male and female clients, primarily female, just because that is statistically what it is. I have physicians. I have, um, attorneys that are not family law. I have journalists. I have PhDs. That should tell you how hard the system is to navigate. Mm -hmm. so back to your question. In my experience, it starts when the other party 
thinks they're losing control might be exposed or that you're thinking about leaving. That's when it starts. And then it escalates. And that's something that um, I really work with my clients on is radical acceptance. Look, don't be surprised when they just lie. When you get that document that says they want sole custody, guess what? They all do it. Even though they never spent any time with your children, doesn't mean it's going to happen. Be prepared for all of these peaks and valleys. And as I said, it's like a monsoon um, rather than peaks and valleys. It's not. It's here and here. But um, is be prepared for the things that they are going to do. They probably will say that you're a prostitute in a clown costume walking down the street. Guess what? Your job and in family court is to understand that that remains true until you unprove it. It's hear, see, taste, feel, test. It has to be proven with a document. That's something that we work work on, but that's a whole other show is documentation, how to present it. But that abusive behavior that was in the marriage will escalate probably a million times. And that's something that I work with all my clients on is a safety plan. I mentioned, I mentioned to one of my clients and actually my client was male and he was talking about the behavior that his soon to be ex-wife was exhibiting. And he, and I, I mean, I'm not a psychologist, but we were just having a conversation and I said, has she always, you know, kind of done that stuff? He said, oh yeah, he goes, she has, but he said, you know, once I started to really try to put some boundaries in place, it got worse. And I actually just off the top of my head said, well, she's not going to get better in the process of divorce. And so I do think it's important, you know, when you're married to someone and you're interacting with them every day, and maybe you have, you know, silly conflict over whether to get sushi or burgers and, you know, well, could you just make up your mind? Well, how come I always choose? I mean, you know, these kinds of conversations that we all have, right? But when the point comes where the relationship appears to be over, I do think a lot of those tendencies just get worse and really um, cause that person, the, the one who's kind of acting out, to feel like they are losing control. And that's when they really get a town on the other person. Would you agree? Oh, 100%. And actually, statistics from research state exactly that. That's why it's really important. Um, I have clients that contact me and all different phases of divorce, pre, post, and during. And what I really like, or I favor the most is when some contact, someone contacts me that is just thinking about this. Like, I cannot do this forever. What are my options? And we always, always at that stage, if they haven't filed, if they're not gone yet, we always safety plan just in case to have a backup. Where do we go? What do we do with the children? Um, what, um, you know, when would it be appropriate to get um, law enforcement involved? I mean, later, I I mean, remember, I do do, uh, mainly um, deal with high conflict divorce. I do have some cookie cutter, but these are the kind of things that happen. So um, it's really important that they have a safety plan in place and um, that they start thinking about what is the next best step? And that's a continuing theme theme through all of this. Financially, what's the next best step um, for your safety? That's that's of utmost priority to keep you and the children safe. Right. 
Just as a side note, um, the workbook that I wrote does have a checklist of things to get together. Um, So for people who are listening, my workbook by the same name, Plan for Divorce, it's available for download at planfordivorce.org. There is a basic checklist of documentation and items to start collecting if you think that things could get dangerous when you leave. So always refer to a document like that or get online. Although, you know, the only problem with computers, as we learned from the digital forensics expert, is the other person may be able to view your search history. So educate yourself as well as you can based on your own situation. How can you get these items together pack a bag, have some things ready, start to, you know, accumulate some cash, those kinds of things. Because we know that statistically speaking, the most dangerous time in a woman's life is when she leaves her partner, her domestic partner. Absolutely. 100%. And I actually have that list also, or one that's similar. So I am happy to provide that to anyone who contacts me through red thread or email because, and also remember that a high conflict divorce Um, There's always the same dynamic, narcissist here, narcissist there, but the need for power and control is always present. So also abuse and addiction is seen in those, these relationships, right? Yeah. We had a show specifically about alcoholism and actually had a family lawyer who is a recovering alcoholic talk a little bit about how the interplay of divorce and addiction, um, We're running short on time with you, but I would like for you to share with our listeners, if someone, like you said, they're starting to think about this, they're in the very beginning stages of planning. If you think that your partner is possibly going to turn out to be very high conflict, uh, very oppositional very uncooperative. What are some suggestions that you can make based on your client's behavior and and the outcomes of those cases? Knowledge is always power, Brooke. So um, first and foremost, just start educating yourself. Get Tracy's book. Can't make this shit up. I have some other recommendations. I mean, I did. And, um, And just see, you know, court outcomes are also very um, dependent on your state, your county, your judge, um, build a good legal team. The perfect or the ideal um, legal team would involve a, a attorney that is uh, versed in coercive control, as well as narcissistic abuse and um, domestic violence. A divorce coach, a therapist, a financial advisor, someone like yourself, if they're interested in keeping the home, they need to visit and just see what knowledge they can gain and and really that package. And I know not everyone can afford it, but there's a lot of free resources out there. And I know you, myself, my agenda, my passion is to empower and educate and be be an advocate for people such as ourselves that are going through something like this. I will provide resources um, freely when I can, for sure. So just empower yourself with knowledge, take baby steps, take a step back, try to look at it from a non-emotional standpoint use here, which is almost impossible. It's hard. I mean, especially when you're in the middle of it, it's really hard to take a step back because you feel like you're, you know, drowning in quicksand. But, but it's, I think it's important to just take a step back so that you can look at it from a business perspective and start. That's where you gain your power. 
that's where how you get it back and and start to heal a little bit. It's a long process. It's not easy. It will be horrific. I'm not going to say anything otherwise. I doubt Tracy will. We've all been there. But knowledge is power. Build a strong legal team and start gathering the documents. And for goodness sakes, don't keep the documents in your home at all. Right. Very it will good. Not be there. Right. Well, and, you know, you said something really important and it's, it's, it's come up on the show before, but the more that you can look at your divorce as a negotiation and how to sort of compromise, particularly on issues that are not critical to you, but compromise as much as you can, and then be able to really hold your ground on the things that are crucially important to your own well-being or the well-being of your children. So to the extent that you can, like my friend Whitney, okay, he's got a clinical personality. I'm not going to take this personally. This is how he has to behave and navigate within that framework and negotiate as if you're looking toward, you know, setting up the best environment for your own next start. And that's really what all of this is about, you know, using the personal breakup almost as a springboard to designing what you want the rest of your life to look like. And if you can extricate yourself from this, even if it does take years in some cases, keeping kind of your eye on the long game is what's important here. That's right. And there, there's peace through the process but you just have to be ready, especially with this per- personality type for that big lodge bullet that's going to hit you in the back of head, but take the piece while you can. Yeah. And it will get easier and get better as time goes. Maybe a lot of time, but it happens. But 100%, think of it as a, it's, and it's so hard to do, but especially prepare for mediation, go prepared, have all your documents. I hate it when financial documents haven't been uh, presented in discovery. And that's what I hear. I'm like, no, no, no. You need to be prepared and have everything ready to go in mediation. That is, um, you get one shot through the system. It's imperative to um, try to take the, it's a negotiation. That's what it is. And you need an attorney that can negotiate. Sure. Mediator that can negotiate. So I had an attorney on the show who generally has all of her clients trained with a mediation coach. And I think that is absolutely brilliant. I mean, I'm, my children's father and I divorced in 06. So if there were resources out there like that, I just wasn't aware of them. But the mediation oftentimes, and, and you know, this, I promoted this show based on the idea that 90% of divorce cases in this country settled before court. So people like you and people like Tracy are the ones who see the 10% right? That don't settle in mediation. But I think since the majority of people do, there's no reason why anyone should walk into mediation cold. I mean, I think if you could, you know, obviously getting excellent legal representation is important. And someone like Jacqueline Roberson, who was on this show, she routinely has her clients practice with a mediation coach. I think if I could go back and do everything all over again, really boning up for mediation, and understanding, here's what I absolutely will not leave this table without. And then here are the things I'm willing to give on. That's right. And I I do actually a bulk of, of 
what I do is mediation prep. There's a mediation checklist. And we also do, um, as a consultant or a coach, whatever you um, decide to refer to it as, um, courtroom and mediation support. And I send all my clients with a binder. That's a whole other area that we can visit. But it's you have to draw the line between A to B for this personality type and not focus on the clinical definition of it, but the patterns of behavior. It matters. Mediators are human beings. Right. And Look, that guy over there and that attorney probably doesn't even know the truth. He is saying that you are, like I said, a prostitute with a clown suit walking down the street. And until you improve it with a document, that is what they think. Right. So you have to be prepared, um, not only with your financial documents, and I mean prepared because they hide money. Almost all of them do. Tracy will verify. Um, but be prepared with the patterns of behavior and and primarily what has not been done in the best interest of the children. That is huge for me. If the children are taken care of, the protective parent or the parent that is not struggling with power and control issues, they will be fine. As long as the children are the the meat of, of your energy or the focus, so to speak, is focused on the children and that well-being and long-term, not just for today, you will be able to launch a very happy and productive life. One that you didn't even dream probably. Because right. you think this relationship with this crazy person. Right. And and so much of your energy is taken up just trying to survive and navigate with that. So in the absence of that, I mean, there, I, I just remember feeling like the weight of the world was off my shoulders. True. And family court is, is a beast in and of itself. It sort of feels like upside down world at times. So when you add that dynamic to this personality and you feel like there's not a lot of repercussions for him, if he's just lying or or her, if they're just lying and you feel like they're always getting ahead, it can just add to the narrative that you've been told throughout your relationship or marriage, right? You're just nothing. Like you will be nothing. Like they will ruin you. I mean, this. Tracy can verify a divorce with a high conflict narcissist is not anything like you can just describe to a normal human being or just a neighbor. Unless you, yeah, you can't make this shit up. Exactly. Exactly. And and I tell clients, it's like having a baby. Unless you've actually done it, you don't understand it. You just don't. And I mean, I think people who really try hard to be empathetic and supportive of someone going through a divorce like this, you know, they say all the right things, but unless they've actually experienced it, the person who of all people is supposed to put you first is now your adversary. And there's just no way to understand what that feels like unless you've actually been in that, in those, in those shoes. So Angel, I am so grateful to you for being here and I hope you'll stay on and listen to Tracy, but tell our listeners one more time how they can find you on the internet. Sure. Um, it's Red Thread Divorce Consulting and my website is a little, I mean, I'm not that great with it. I will tell you, I, t- I tend to spend a lot of time with my clients and out here and there. That's where I feel, that's where my passion lies. Um, and then you can also email me at angel, really simple, angel at redthreaddivorce.com. Um, and there's a couple of ways to contact me there. And I will send the list of what to take or stash before you leave um, if anyone asks for it and whatever else I can do for sure. Great. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure having you here. And I do hope you'll come back because I know you're an expert on family court and particularly I've been reading so much about Harris County and the family court. I think we could do a whole show on that. 
I would think it would take a couple of shows, but with um, false claims of parental alienation, um, things that happen when you have an amicus and what happens if you actually do um, throw that claim in. I mean, I'll just tell you very quickly that mothers are twice as likely to lose custody of their children. And trust me, it happens all over, all over. And it's happening. Um, Stories. Wasn't that one of the factors that we think happened with Sinead O'Connor? I believe so. And I experienced it for, I mean, and, and it was, uh, to give you a brief overview, it was a very, it ended up being a very um, public divorce because he was a surgeon here in Houston. And fast forward, I told you that the mask falls off. He ended up going to jail with me not having seen the children for years. Literally, we live a mile away and for choking his live-in girlfriend. And so that it does come to pass. Um, with that said, I was accused of parental alienation, even of absences of eight to nine months at a time. And I, there's another um, avenue of what happens in the family courts here. If you don't get a judge that's educated, what the responsibilities are I mean, in Texas, child support is capped um, at a certain number. And even if you make 1.4 a year, that's the cap. So mine has been responsible for standard child support for years. And that's about $2,000 a month. Yep. Literally. It. So, so it's a horrific, that's what can happen. You can't make this shit up. You can't, but that's why people don't understand. How is this happening? You need to know you need right. to, know. and Tracy's right. here to say the rest. So Tracy, perfect segue. Tracy Malone is an international narcissistic abuse and divorce coach. In addition to her work as an author, speaker, and educator, she is a Sir Thriver of abuse herself and the founder of NarcissistAbuseSupport.com. She wrote a best-selling book. We've already given you a preview. Divorcing a Narcissist, colon, you can't make this shit up. She's also written 32 healing journals, has a popular YouTube channel and podcast that has reached millions of survivors. Tracy, I'm so glad you're here. Welcome to the show. Uh-oh, I think you're on mute. Yes, thank you so much for having me. <laughs> I'm so glad you're here. Um Angel is a huge supporter of your work, and she just was waving her her copy of your book in the camera. I know for our listeners, you, you can't see that, but Tracy is well known in this field. And Tracy, since you're here, I'd like for you to talk a little bit about how you got started doing this work. Well, you already gave the secret that I am a survivor of narcissistic abuse. Survivor, uh, survivor, um, and. I did not know what I was going through when I went through my horrific divorce. It was called the most tortured divorce in our town's history by the judge. And um, we had seven trials. There was no children to fight over. The house was already sold. There was no reason for seven trials, except that they were crazy. And so um, afterwards, I, I gated someone and... I found out he was a narcissist and then my entire life unfolded. It was not only the husband and his entire family, but oh my God, my entire family. I didn't know it because it was so normalized and I'd lived it my whole life. So I just didn't see 
uh, it as abuse. I, I knew my family was crazy. I just didn't have the word. So when I learned about it, I was like, I've got to educate people. How could I be this old and not know this? And I started talking. <laughs> but once you see something, you can't unsee it. Do you agree? I mean, once it becomes clear to you and all of the kind of crystals form, it's hard to pretend you didn't already notice it. Well, it's, it's, it's naming it, right? It's not just seeing it. It's actually having a name. Oh, that's ghosting. Oh, that's gaslighting. Oh, I see. Oh, I see, you know, financial abuse. No one ever even said that word while I went through a hundred thousand dollar divorce. Right. No bother to, to share those things. So yeah, when you see it, it's really hard, but it is also your, your um, armor from this point forward. You'll never be fooled again once you do see it. Right. Okay, talk a little bit about post-separation abuse. Define it for us and then talk about how you interact with clients on this particular topic. Sure. So post-separation abuse can happen while the divorce is underway or post-divorce. And with a narcissist, they're like rabid dogs. They just keep on coming. So the post-divorce abuse can be financial abuse, can be taking you back to court, can be obstructing justice and not doing the orders they were ordered to do. There's so many different factors that can affect the parenting of the children post-separation abuse, right? Where they are turning the kids as you and Angel were just talking about, turning the kids against you. These are all the types of things that you can expect from a narcissist because they get wounded when a divorce is even announced, even if it's their choice. This abandonment part inside of them gets activated and you go from the wife of 40 years to the enemy of the people like right. there's no way that you can <laughs> on and share air with them right they are so the enemy of the people i one time i said that my ex and i don't know that he actually used this phrase but i said i think he's like somehow i've become the source of all evil and it doesn't matter if i'm eating a sandwich or standing outside his door knocking on it i you know i felt for a while like he was treating me as the source of all evil so i'm sorry that cracked me up that was that <laughs> I mean, I identify with what you're saying. Uh, would you, while I've interrupted you already, would you please define um, these claims of parental alienation? I meant to get Angel to go a little bit further into it, but define for our listeners what parental alienation, the concept of it, and then how we've seen that be abused by by narcissists uh, going through a divorce. Right. Well, Obviously, parental alienation is when they turn the children against the other parent. And it is usually a very slow drip of comments. And they aren't necessarily as loud and abusive as we think, but more manipulative. And, oh, your mother doesn't really have time for you. Oh, you know, I mean, just subtleties to the children. with, it, And then all of a sudden, they've turned the child against you. So that is the the, the control factor that they're doing. And, and often the, the parents of the um, children who have a narcissist, do lose their children. I have a friend who lost all three of her children and I have another friend with who's lost two of them. So, you know, this has gone on for so many years and the courts, 
It's it's almost with a narcissist because they're shouting so loud and they're making this stink in the court. It makes it really hard for the judge to understand it. Instead of it being the kids really don't want to be with you because you don't feed them when they're at your house. It's they must have turned them against because the kids don't want to come here. And you're like, no, I'm not doing any of that. You are doing that because of the way you treat them or they're afraid of the other parent or they're, you know, mistreated or again, not attended to neglected when they're there that the children make this choice and then they turn it against the other parent. Can't be them must be you because they're blamers. It's always got to be someone else's fault, but it happens so often where the narcissist is the one pulling this trigger almost preemptively get it on the board. Because if you turn around and now go, no, they're alienating me. All of a sudden it's tit for tat. The whole thing is, is blown away and it, it doesn't have as much relevance and you're fighting two battles. Right. So um, that's really the bottom line of it. And do you feel like the, I'm just going to refer to the, the person as the narcissist, but do you feel like some of that parental alienation is like, well, it's better to blame the other spouse than actually stand up to my kid and say, look, I really want you here. I'm going to do this for you when you're here. You know, they don't want to make any accommodations to the kids. They don't want to, you know, get their house ready to be a house full of kids. You know, they want to go on with their own agenda, their own life, but they don't want to experience rejection from their child and they don't want to have to hash through how that might be improved. And so the strategy then is just, well, let's just lash out at the other party. Yes. And that that's exactly what it is. They aren't willing to do the work to be a, a, a righteous and correct parent. So they do turn it around and they've got to blame someone for the children not picking them. And so that neglect is what often pushes the children away but then these accusations and the and the the brain the mind control to tell the children that the other parent is you know they don't love you and i'm the only one that loves you and these subtle things that make the question the children question the other parent's loyalty it's a terrible thing to do to a child it's just it's, really sad it's a horrible thing in every situation how do you find your clients? Are they mostly word of mouth? How do people find you and and get into one of your support groups? Um, they find me all over. I, I'm, I have a YouTube channel and podcast, as you said. My books get out there. I speak all over the place and I have a website. I have five websites actually, <laughs> but um, they, they can find me and, um, you know, it, they have been coming. I had clients this morning in Holland and Israel and um, Dubai, it, they're all over the world. So the fact that I'm a coach versus a lawyer opens up the opportunities for people in Israel to say, there's no one that's talking about this. How do you help me? Right. So it really helps me to be able to reach people all over the world. Truthfully, I, I feel like we don't talk about this enough here in this country. And, you know, I was telling Angel earlier in the program about some of my lending clients who experience, whether it's post-separation abuse or um, just, you know, however you want to define it, just very poor treatment by the other party. And when I say, you know, this is a whole school of thought, there are people who research this, there are people who talk about it. I've been really surprised that very, you know, highly intelligent, well-educated people say, really? 
because I don't think we talk about it enough. And Angel brought up social media. You know, I think so many times on social media, we're providing like the highlight reel, right? The way you want your life to look. It doesn't necessarily mean that your life is that way. But then when you're being maltreated, you know, treated poorly by your other you know, your spouse or your boyfriend or girlfriend, or, you know, if you're a same sex couple, I mean, I talk to people who are experiencing conflict in all sorts of different kinds of relationships, but, but I don't think there's enough conversation about how a narcissist behaves and how he or she gets away with this behavior and gets away with it over and over again. And surely you talk to people who are being victimized and re-victimized by the same personality type. Yeah, and, and uh, it's hidden abuse. That's why it's not talked about at, say, a dinner party. <laughs> you know, it's like no one's going to fess up until they are in the, the, you know, the spiral of what's going on, and then nobody believes them because of the false persona that the narcissist has projected to everyone you know. So, you know, this hidden abuse, if you don't have to look it up, who does? It's not like, hey, let me go watch this. And and I was recently on something that was a Hollywood thing. And they were like, how could we raise awareness? I'm like, well, thank you, Hollywood. This is what we need. We need to reach people that aren't in trauma so that those people can be educated, maybe through something like this docuseries that I was on. But then they see the, the similarities in a friend, in their children, in, in neighbors and go, you got to look this up because it wasn't just the person in trauma that goes looking for it on YouTube, right? It is someone who sees it in the general kind of way we see things and digest things. I went, I just heard this weird thing. Maybe you should look this up. We need more of those warriors that aren't in the bucket of heck to sit there and and be able to educate people because they've got this little bit of knowledge and they went, that sure sounds like what you're going through. Let's mm -hmm. look and dig. That's how we change the, the pendulum here. It is not, you know, wishing everyone to go buy my book. While that would be a great idea, why would you unless you were in the fire pit of hell, right? Exactly. Where people pick this up and where they start to search for podcasts. Well, and that's what this show is about, right? Just trying to start the conversation. And maybe the person listening to the show is not the person experiencing this abuse. Maybe it's that person's mom or brother or coworker. But I aim to add some of these terms to mainstream conversation because just based on my, I mean, admittedly unscientific study, but I'm talking to people all the time who are either about to initiate a divorce or they have one in process, and they're not aware that these terms have been defined and that people like you and like Angel are doing the work in the trenches and you're trained to identify this kind of behavior and provide support for it. So that's a huge part of why I started this show is to let people know and it may be someone who is in a miserable, horrible relationship and doesn't have the first clue how to get started. Yeah. And and that's really the key. I, I know that most people now know that in 2022, the word of the year was gaslighting. Before that became the word of the year, yes, it was being thrown around a lot, but nobody really understood how it applies, say in divorce, right? And And how it puts the fear into the victim of this during the divorce process 
you'll never see the children. You're never going to get any money. All the gaslighting is you were a stay-at-home parent. You have no rights. This is my money, right? So those gaslighting things keep victims there. So if we not only make it the word of the year, but we talk about it endlessly. We talk about it. How it applies, how what it means. It's not just a word in the sky. It is all that we need everyone to know. The Chicks write a song about it, and it was a very popular song. And ironically, I mean, I don't, you know, my my children are grown, and they have a pretty good idea of some of the things that happened between their father and I. But I don't, we don't discuss it, especially now that it's been a long time. But when that song came out, one of my kids texted me and said, have you heard the chick's new song? And I said, no. And she said, you need to listen to it. And I thought it was fascinating that in a, I don't know if they're a crossover or country, I'm not good with music vocabulary, but a popular song that was talking specifically about gaslighting, just remarkable. We have a whole list on my website of narcissistic songs, including Britney Spears' new song, which brings in the narcissism, right? So the more we get that, the more questions get asked, the more resources people can seek out and go, oh my goodness, that's what's happening to me. Is, is So when you say on your website, is this NarcissistAbuseSupport.com or a different one? Yeah. Um, under the resources, we have a list of all the movies about it. And we also have a list of all the songs about it. And we've got the videos right there. So I can even like dance right now to the Dixie Ticks because I have it in my head. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, so in the workbook that I wrote, I have a breakup playlist, which um, has a lot of songs about experiencing that kind of behavior. And I love that you have movies. I mean, I listed a few books just for people to feel like they're, you know, in community with other people experiencing this. But you're absolutely right. Until we put those words out into mainstream conversation, people don't have a way to describe what they're experiencing at home. No. And, and somebody, I, I often, if they're really under, not understanding things, I say, go watch Dirty John. Go watch uh, Bad Vegan. Watch Sleep. <laughs> Bad <Vegan>. Vegan? Bad <laughs> Vegan. She was completely you know, taken by this narcissist. So it's a famous true story in New York City. And so is Dirty John. Um, and so when we look at these real life case scenarios, and you actually see it almost, you know, in action happening in dramatic format, you're like, Oh, my gosh, that's my whole life. And so that really will help people to get into those movies, and take the time and see something. And it is not a documentary of it. It is a reenactment of it. And you start to see the control, you start to see the manipulation, the lies, and then you're like, Oh, my goodness, that's exactly what happened to me. Yikes. Okay, you've given me a couple of tasks. Now I'm going to have to look those up. Okay, we are almost out of time, Tracy, but I want to put the same question to you that I asked Angel. If someone is listening to this show right now, and they're thinking, holy shit, I may be heading in that direction. What is one suggestion you could give them? Well, I think she already gave the um, the answer of, of education, but I, I'd say get help, get answers, and sooner than later, because, you know, lots, lots of people come to me for just a one session. Am I with a narcissist? Does this sound like them? 
get that validation because then you can follow the breadcrumb trail of all the different books and the, the validation, right? Get that help. Read my, I have a red flag checklist on that website. Read it, look at it, go, oh my goodness, this is something real and I need help. So don't think that you're alone. There's a million. I have a, a Facebook group with 16,000 members in it. Go find that. Dig yourself in, go, oh my God, this is happening and get 16,000 people giving you feedback. That is an excellent suggestion. Tracy, thank you very much for being here. I really appreciate your time. Two women, very high profile in the world of divorce coaching and divorce support. To my listeners, thank you for being with us today. Don't forget, you can download my planning workbook at planfordivorce.org. Next week, we're talking about the division of assets, particularly joint-owned business assets. So if you and your partner own a business together, please tune in next week. And until then, thank you for listening and have a great week. Thanks for tuning in to Plan for Divorce, your next chapter with host Brooke Benson. We hope today's episode has given you a new perspective on divorce and food for thought as you make some important decisions. Until we talk again, hang in there. You are not alone.